Welcome to episode number 269. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the health benefits of different mushrooms, including some mushrooms that are being researched and known for immune boosting, as well as antiviral properties, some very important things. Most of us want more of that in our lives as things are going on right now and we're getting close to entering into fall and winter during this time that we're still in, I don't even really know what to call it, the pandemic, COVID-19, and some fabulous ways that you can harvest and preserve these said mushrooms at home. So if you missed part one, which was episode number 268, you're going to want to make sure that you go back and listen to that episode where we talk about growing the different types of these mushrooms at your house and the different environments and all the different spots that you have probably already in your yard and available to growing mushrooms at home. So we're going to dive into this portion, which is more on, like I said, the health benefits, yay, as well as good eating recipes and preserving tips. And for any links and resources, because Mary Ellen drops a lot of really fun tidbits and lets us know where we can go and find out more things. For all of those links, you can go to the blog post that accompanies this episode, which is at melissaknorris.com forward slash 269. So just the number 269, because this is episode 269. So again, melissaknorris.com forward slash 269. And as you are listening to this episode, if you are interested in different ways of building up your natural medicine cabinet or your herbal arsenal, I don't know if mushrooms are really considered an herb, they're fungi, but different natural ways to boost that immune system and to use herbs, especially as we move into cold and flu season. Make sure that you are staying tuned. Either you're on my email list or you're subscribed to the podcast and not missing any episodes because I am working on some really special projects right now that we'll be releasing in September and October and are really focusing on with science-backed research and studies on using natural remedies to help us during cold and flu and also that would equal right virus season. So stay tuned for that because I'm going to have some really awesome things coming out on that that I'm really, really excited about that I will be giving you some more information on as we get a little bit closer. So with that, let's dive straight in to this episode. And have some really cool health benefits. So do you want to just talk to that for just a little bit? Yeah. I mean, not being any kind of a medical person at all, I yeah. have to, of course, say that, but... Um, yes. No, thank you for saying that. There, same here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, there's just been such an explosion in, um, in tinctures and uh, powders and pills and things like that. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth-generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple, modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born a 100 years too late. If you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends, and if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron and those things were used daily, 
with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. One thing that's really great when you do grow your own mushroom, though, you can, um, even, even though it's maybe a summertime or a um, spring or a fall project where you're harvesting these things, you can actually make your own tinctures quite easily and do single extraction with alcohol or double extraction or even use vinegar. Um, and um, on one of our uh, blogs, um, I, I, if you just don't mind me, keep on referencing this because we do have a good recipe for how to make your own mushroom tinctures. Um, yeah. The nice thing about making mushroom tinctures yourself is that you're actually using the fruiting body. So you're actually using the mushroom, um, which is pretty powerful. Uh, a lot of times tinctures and things are made with just the mycelium, the powdered my dried mycelium. But um, when you grow your own mushrooms, of course, you usually have a lot of extra fruiting bodies that you can use to tincture yourself. So, so that's um, pretty easily done. It just takes time and a lot of glass jars. <laughs> So, um, but <laughs> yes. as far as the actual medicinal values, you know, yeah, I, of course, we've really only just started, I think, in this country to look at um, the medicinal values, looking, looking at some scientific studies, which, of course, are really difficult in the human um, body. So we have to kind of rely on what people have done over the generations in other countries. And of course, Japan and China are, are ones that have really researched Rishi, really researched lion's mane. And I think that um, it's pretty, pretty safe to say that the reason why people are so interested in lion's mane right now is that there's the, um, the, the uh, um, cognitive disorder that we get when we, we kind of, you know, it's, it's not dementia, but it's not, it's, it's not complete memory loss, but it just really helps boost. Maybe it's the synapses in our brain, but it helps with our memory. It helps be a little bit sharper. And so I think people are really interested in lion's mane for that reason alone. I know that there's been some work using it to look at dementia and also Alzheimer's. I think that in um, the Eastern cultures, they, they look a lot to lion's mane for helping with some of our um, digestive disorders. Rishi, of course, is one that has been known as the mushroom of longevity for a long, long time. It's been, you know, I guess, really revered for many, many, many generations. Um, and that is one that, you know, of course, you can also grow yourself. Um, it's a very bitter um, uh, mushroom, so we use it for teas. Um, we like to steep it with a lot of cinnamon stick and cloves um, just to kind of get rid of some of that mushroomy bitterness. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's something that you can reuse over and over again. You can freeze your, your conches or your, your antler forms of reishi where um, um, just freeze it into chunks and then, then let it brew again. You'll look for maybe five or oh. six brews out of it. So um, nice. I'm talking about gallons. Yeah. So it lasts a long time. Um, you just have to be willing to, to do the brewing instead of, you know, stirring a powder into your coffee or whatever. Um, so um, the, of course, the, the, the other mushrooms that have been pretty well looked at, of course, is shiitake, which I think there's been some, some pretty good research out of the United States that shows that shiitake can reduce blood cholesterol levels. So in other words, you can saute all the shiitake mushrooms with a lot of butter and feel just fine with eating that whole thing because you know the the butter will not um, 
you know, boost your blood cholesterol levels because the, the, the mushrooms are sort of, you know, um, uh, getting rid of that for you. Um, so those I would say are the, the three, that including turkey tail and maitake or the hen of the woods. Um, there's anti, uh, you know, there's cancer, um, uh, or I should say immune, immunomodulators, I believe they're called, where that's really helping you boost your immune system. Uh, the mm-hmm. olive oysterling is one that it looks like it, it kind of helps with some of the, I'm trying to remember the, the, the syndrome that you get when you've got, you gain a little bit of weight and you've got high blood sugar levels and high cholesterol. Um, so uh, that one is, you know, looks like it's really powerful in mice anyway. So we have a lot to learn about medicinal mushrooms, but um, I can just tell you from, from my point of view where I do actually take a lot of tinctures and I drink a lot of reishi tea that I feel pretty good. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, um, the one thing that is also um, is just starting to be looked at a little more carefully now is an amino acid called ergothionine, which um, only fungi for the most part can produce. And so it looks like even um, in grasslands, for example, where cattle are grazed on uh, uh, grasslands that that are there's some association with fungi you know there's the possibility that we could transfer ergothionine which is a amino acid that really um, helps with inflammation um, into some of our other food sources so right now we're working on a study with the wine cap that i was talking about earlier where we're looking at growing um, companion plants in this particular case oats and wine cap into these beds that are, um, or oats and tomatoes, I'm sorry, that are planted into these beds of wine cap and test to see if that has changed the ergothionine level in the tomato fruits or in the oat seeds themselves. So that's an ongoing study that we're we're only the first year into. So um, there's a possibility that, you know, fungi can really help us out. I mean, inflammation is a really big deal we're finding. And that might be able to help us out just through our diet. So that's, that's a very exciting yeah. thing that's happening now. That is fascinating. And I'm also curious, we raise our own grass-fed beef cattle. Um, and so part of my, me is like, if it shows that it changes the oats, then one step further, what if the cattle consumed the oats that were grown with the, you know, like the mushrooms, like, I don't, like if you could do it on the pasture, would it also pass to the cattle, which then when you consumed their beef, would it, you know, I don't know. I, I'm really stretching here. Please, no, you're like, not. Nobody. No, that's really good thinking. And the <laughs> fact that, uh, that we were looking at a um, National Science Foundation grant um, in collaboration with some other researchers, and that was, the, that was a big interest, like especially in the Western states. Like, can we possibly, you know, improve value add to our beef by, by grazing them on oats that have somehow have got some fungal, whether it would be mycorrhizal or some sort of fungal connection. And yeah. um, so that, you know, we're, that grant, unfortunately, um, didn't, in that extremely competitive um, grant cycle did not get funded, but um, we're still looking at it at smaller levels here and there. So that's really good thinking because that's exactly what the researchers were wondering. So there's oh, your new, yeah. there's your new life. <laughs> Woo-hoo! No, I you want that's to do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I'm I'm actually that's quite intriguing because we do have. Um, I just like my mind's going hundred miles per hour right now. We've got 
grass pasture out in our back pasture that is very dappled. So we have some grass, but there's is some forest. And I'm like thinking kind of where those, you know, converge. I'm like, oh man, that would be really fun to inoculate that. Just, just, I mean, I don't have a way of testing my beef cattle. I think I couldn't make that claim mm-hmm. or anything, but mm-hmm. kind of fun just to play with it and just see just on a home level, you know, anyways, I'm, I'm very intrigued now. Well, so, yeah, thank you. And, yeah, yeah. You know, this it, it is something that we don't like with wine cap, for example, when you grow it on these wood chips beds or else you can grow it on um, straw beds as well. The first wine caps that we get usually are at the edge of the bed. The, these particular mushrooms really like to have a soil interaction. So it's very hard to grow those ones indoors because they um, have a strong connection to the microbial community at the soil level. So um, usually when you see your first mushrooms they're right at the edge of the wine cap bed right at the edge of that wood chip mulch or that that straw area um and you just wonder wow what is the connection between those mushrooms is is there any talking um from the mycelium of the mushroom with the grass you know because that's a you know an area of study is how fungi i mean if you, i don't know if you've ever seen the movie avatar but that's a pretty vivid description of how you know this big mycelial neck network communicates with trees because there is this actual physical relationship so um there's just there's just so much out there so much to learn i i guess you know i've always been really just interested in the food end of things (laughs) so um you know fortunately with mushrooms that's you know there is the the huge other world outside of the food end of things but the food end of things is pretty rich as well Yeah. So this kind of naturally leads to my next question because I'm like super excited um, thinking, I I think in my, my mind, I guess I was just always assuming like you would have these log beds. I didn't realize that you could grow these different types and obviously putting the type with the medium that it likes, but in all these different areas, like, like you've outlaid and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have all these spots that I can be growing these mushrooms. So how do you choose what to grow? I'm assuming by area condition type that you have, but do you have any other type of, you know, criteria or thought process that that you use when people are deciding what to start with when they're just beginning on their journey of growing mushrooms? Yeah, we get that question all the time. You know, people just, there's, there's become such a variety of things that you can grow that, um, that you have to make the decision about where to start. And I would say that for me, first of all, you look at what you have, what substrate you have, that's, that's important. Um, but the other thing is, what do I like? Um, which mushroom do I find to be tasty? Uh, so that, that's another one to really consider. And you know, for myself, I think shiitake is one of the best mushrooms around. Um, I love the wine cap because it's beautiful. It's got this little red cap button with this crispy stem and you can pickle it or you can, um, you can, uh, braise it. There's so many things that you can do with it. And you can also, um, like I like to can a lot. So I make a lot of pickles. So, um, I try to pick something that's going to pickle well. Okay. This actually just brings me right into the next question and you actually answered part of it, but that is when you're harvesting and then storing and preserving your mushrooms, because that's something like, you know, if I, when I buy mushrooms from the store, 
you know, they, it's usually portobello or uh, the button ones, you know, and they'll last for a week or so in the fridge, usually maybe two weeks if I'm lucky. And then with the mild mushrooms, like we don't get enough to even think about preserving with the exception of chanterelle, which I will freeze. Um, but otherwise we're just eating them fresh. So when I think about storage and like preservation with them, um, I feel like a complete novice. So kind of walk me, walk me through like the, the best ways um, of your harvesting, storing and preserving your mushrooms. Yeah, and that kind of relates to the other question you had was, which one do I choose? You know, if, if part of it is that you, you, you know you're going to have a really big crop, and, and, and I guess that's, that's the other part of it is that what, what mushroom is going to give me a really big yield so I'm going to be swimming in these mushrooms and give them away, and what am I going to do with these? And we've definitely um, had that question before. You know, I've just, what am I going to do with all these shiitake or lions? Uh, particularly, you know, with the wine cap, Straferia, that is one that just people are just besides themselves. What do I do with all these things? Um, so, you know, I like to, well, the mushrooms that I really like to grow are the ones that, again, that, that I think that I really like personally, um, and especially ones that I can actually preserve. So and we grow mushrooms year round here, so I'm never in a shortage of actually having mushrooms for making supper, but um, I do like to give away gifts. I do like to can. I like to experiment with new recipes. So um, I would say that my favorite way of uh, putting by mushrooms or, um, you know, that if I've got too many, um, the first one would probably be shiitake because we've grown that, those for so many years. Um, that's just, it's just been our lifeline for a lot of years, um, searching out new strains and new cultivation methods. So we have a lot of them. And one of my favorite ways to put that by is to make a mushroom butter um, because it freezes really well. And it's also an excellent gift. And, oh, it's just, it's just really good. <laughs> so, um, and again, we do have the recipe on our website should anyone be interested in that. It's just a blending of uh, pureed mushrooms um, in some, you know, a few other little ingredients with a softened butter. And there's a real technique to it. So definitely check the, the recipe in the, wood si in, in, in the, in the website. Um, on the website out because we do give you um, those tips. Um, the second way to um, uh, put by shiitake that I really like is the same way that I would do for any other kind of mushroom, and that is to make a duxel or to make, you know, just saute the mushroom. So they, they, they maintain their fresh flavor when they're actually sauteed. When you dry a mushroom, which of course is, you know, very popular, they have a very different flavor i find and the texture of course completely changes and so they're great for stocks and things like that but boy i i mean to me when you you saute them in you know half cup or one cup um increments and you can pull them out of the freezer and they're very much to me very much like the fresh mushroom which is you know a completely new experience um so you can you can do other things to it you can add chopped red peppers or onions or garlic or you know um you know, mix it with a pesto or whatever you want. I think um, there's different ways of freezing these mushrooms, but the main thing is you're kind of cooking them. You're sealing in that flavor with a, um, some sort of a fat or oil. Um, so I use a combination of olive oil and butter usually, and I saute these and put them into little containers. And then I would, you know, use those to pull out and make a shiitake soup, for example, or, or, you know, wine cap omelet. Um, so that would be the, 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 uh, probably the most preferred way to put them by, you know, much, much better than canning. Cause I think, you know, canning, canned mushrooms tend for me to be a little bit slimy and not only that, but you have to, to go through the whole pressure canner thing and you always worry, you know, are they going to be okay? Um, 
And the third thing um, I would say uh, for preserving mushrooms for me uh, is pickling because I love pickles. And so um, <laughs> Same here. one of my favorite ways is just, just to dry saute these with oil um, so mm-hmm. that um, I'm sorry, dry saute with salt. And, um, okay. and they, then they exude this, all of this liquid and then you, um, the liquid evaporates and then you add a brine and then you pickle them that way. They're, they're still, they maintain their crispness. They're slightly sweet, which I must admit I love. <laughs> um, um, so there's, and there's a bunch of other, um, I mean, very, you know, a lot of people that do mushroom pickling have their own special pickle recipe. Um, and all of them are great. I, I, I just think, you know, the, the important thing to use, uh, is to use a mushroom that is crisp for me, which, um, is most often the wine cap mushroom or Namiko mushroom is another one that, it, that maintains its crispness. Um, shiitake is a little bit rubbery. Um, and, um, I think I mentioned the wine cap stays crisp, which I really like. Um, and then the oysters, I, I like them for their appearance, their frondy look, but, um, um, I'll usually do a mixed pickle, which will be wine cap, um, oyster mushroom and Namiko. And I really love that combination. So okay. the very last thing of course, is drying mushrooms and they can be very nutritious, especially if you sun dry them, they're exposed to, um, sunlight to boost the vitamin D content. Um, so drying is really great, but you have to love the flavor of dried mushrooms and I don't, so I don't do a whole lot of drying. Yeah, I love this. And, and I'm kind of with you, like when I see dried morels in the store, I'm like, oh, I guess that that's the only way you could yeah. get them. But, <laughs> you know, right. I, yeah, yeah. But where I would you like with the chanterelles, we, I saute them in butter and garlic and a little bit of onion and we'll just saute them and eat what we want from the pan that night for dinner. And, or I'll just stop a couple pans if we get a good haul and then freeze them. And yeah, they, um, surprisingly, when you thaw them, they're not like people think, mushrooms are super slimy which some mushrooms can be but the cooking and then freezing them and then thawing them the chanterelles do beautifully just like you said they they taste just kind of like the night that you did them yeah Um, yeah they do really well that way i have not pickled mushrooms mainly because i I never have enough just from well you're not supposed to technically canning safety wise i do need to bring this up um you're not so there are no tested times for canning wild mushrooms Mm -hmm. Um, now cultivated mushrooms there is and so i I do need to make that distinction and because i have never cultivated my own mushrooms and i've just never purchased enough cultivated mushrooms from the store to pickle I actually, I love to eat pickled mushrooms. Like I've bought them, but I've not actually pickled them myself. So I've got all kinds of new stuff coming my way. <laughs> yeah. And the more it's to me, like the more variety. And of course, maybe this isn't exactly safe either. So, um, but boy, do I love a mixed pickle. So, uh, and I mean a mixed mushroom pickle, just the various little shapes and colors, especially if you're using kind of a, a clear brine, they're just so beautiful in the jar. And little tiny pickles and um especially oh gosh we don't grow these i they're i think they're mycorrhizal but which it's really you know we we're not very successful with growing mycorrhizal fungi um but the black trumpets if you're familiar with those um those are some of the best pickled mushrooms they're the weirdest looking things but they're very crisp and um i like to add those to a jar of all the other cultivated fungi that we do so that you kind of have a mixed jar and you know, it's not something you want to eat every day, but they sure are special. So, um, I've never had those before pickled or fresh. So I'm intrigued. (laughs) 
Yeah, I would think that you'd have a lot in your area too. So, I mean, you guys are in, you guys are in the mushroom world, I think. Um, we have to work, walk we a are, lot of miles yeah. for a mushroom. <laughs> I don't know that you guys have to walk as far. You might have to walk up, up more mountains though. That's something we don't have here. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, yeah, we usually, unfortunately, a lot of the, the mountain roads around specifically where I live, um, the, the companies that own them or the state, depending upon if it's state owned or private owned, there used to be a lot of logging roads that you could just go up. Um, and unfortunately, in the, over the past, oh goodness, really the past five years, they've shut a lot of the access to the public off, um, just completely dismantled the access points. And so a lot of the places that we did go, which were up mountains, because we're right in just a little river valley, we have mountains on each side of us. Um, unfortunately, our access to them where we could drive and then walk out uh, has been cut off. So that's kind of also one of the reasons, too, I'm, I'm very curious and wanting to get into more cultivating because we can't easily access a yeah. lot of the areas that we used to, unfortunately. But um, huh. so it kind of brings me to my next point. Like if you don't have the the spawn, as you said, I'm learning. I always called it spores. So I love this. But the spawn to start a, a couple of like I would love to do the lion's mane and then the um, wine caps underneath, I think I'm getting these names right, hopefully, underneath my blueberries, um, and then out in the garden too, underneath the squash. So how much kind of like an investment, you know, in time and money to say, you know, each, that would be three different types, um, would you say it would take to start? Well, you know, we could either do this like in terms of, you know, cost per pound of mushrooms. And I think, um, you know, depending on depending on your investment and what form of spawn you get and how much quantity do you, you do. We, we can, like with shiitake, we look at, you know, somewhere around $1 to $2 a pound. And considering that you're probably buying them in the store for $16 a pound, that's a, that's a pretty fair investment, I feel. Um, but usually with, um, you know, so um, with like with the, the log grown types, like Heresia, the, the lion's mane, um, you know, it's hard because how, um, you know, putting a value on the log, like if, if you have to buy the log or, or heaven forbid, if you have to drive a hundred miles to pick up a log or something, then that, then you have to, you know, you have to have a different sense of, how, you know, what, what the value is going to be to yourself. But in general, the spawn is, you know, somewhere around, can be anywhere like say $10 for two logs, or it can be $25, like, for 25 logs, for example. Um, so it's, I think where the, where the cost starts to come in is if you're actually going to, to tool up and you want to do say a hundred logs, um, you would probably look for some ways to mechanize that a little bit. It's very labor intensive and we do have tools that allow you to do that. And then you just sort of have to balance, like is my investment in these tools, will I be doing this every year? Um, or will I be just doing it once and then decide maybe if I like it, I'll do it in another three or four years. Well, then you wouldn't probably want to invest in the tools uh, because a lot of the spawn that is, um, that you use is, um, if it's mechanizable, it will come in a form like sawdust spawn is mechanizable into these tools. And so there's a, there's a tool investment up front that you, then the spawn decreases the cost over time. So it's probably a little bit more of an answer um, than you wanted to, to get. But I would say in general, a bag of spawn can be anywhere from say 12, 10 to 12, depending on the size to uh, $25 for a bag of spawn. 
and a bag of spawn will it's usually yeah and so the uh, uh, um, a wood decay fungus that um, you're you're growing into actual log for example will be around gosh I guess around a dollar a log for the spawn itself uh, the wine cap it's usually around twenty five dollars for a bag of sawdust spawn which will do about fifty square feet wow so it, that's it's actually just, really good. I think I, that's way less than, I don't know what I had in my head it was going to be, but as you're saying that, I'm like, wow, a dollar a log, that's like yeah, a bag of garden seed. I mean, or a packet of garden seed in a lot of instances. So yeah. The worst of it is shipping because, you know, spawn is a heavy, wet product. And, and what in this world of free shipping these days, you know, we just can't, uh, there's not any spawn producer I know that can ship it for free because it is a heavy product, but Considering, considering the flavor and considering what you'd have to buy the mushrooms for in the grocery store, it is a good value. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, and especially considering the, the $45 um, cherry tree that I just bought that died. My <laughs> fault. It was my fault, not, not, the, not the nursery's fault. I didn't put, I didn't put the um, tree wrap on it. So winter kind of, the rodents did it in. But, you know, I mean, it's pretty easy to spend a lot of money on nursery stock. <laughs> So, um, oh yeah. Anyway, it's, it's all work, but it's all just work. It's, it's good work, um, with, with really wonderful benefits. So I, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's a great value, I think. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. And I, I kind of like too. you know, we didn't even really talk about this benefit, but I, when we were talking earlier, I was thinking like, you know, you, you take the, this log, your green log and you grow the varieties like the lion's mane that will grow on that one. Um, and then when that one's spent, then like you said that you had done, you know, then you work that down into a really fine medium that goes into the compost that then grows another type of mushroom. So you're actually using that log, but you're getting multiple harvests out of it right. um, throughout the different stages, which is really a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, e each of those substrates, as we call it, has to kind of be prepared like um, for us, we grow a lot of oyster mushrooms on straw. Um, and so that straw, then after the, the, the oyster mushrooms have consumed what it can out of the, out of the straw, then we take that, we compost it. Um, and we are always turning it and watering it, but boy, it makes a wonderful, uh, compost for the almond agaricus. So there's some work involved, but, um, like I say, it's all good work. Um, unless it's 95 90% relative humidity, which we had this year, which was not so great. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's um, the whole world of fungi sort of has those hidden surprises in it. I feel um, these, the, it's just sort of paying attention to, is this one edible? Is there spawn available for it? Or can I grow my own spawn? Um, and, you know, can I make this work? It's a, it's a lifelong test really. Um, but it's, if you love that kind of thing, then, then you'll, you'll love it. It's, it's really great. Yeah. I'm very excited. Now, if people are like, okay, I am ready. Like I need to get some spawn and that type of thing. Um, do you have, do you have any kits um, or just go to your website or what's the best way for people to follow? I know you've got lots of posts that you already mentioned on how to do these different things on your website that we'll link to directly for everybody in, in today's uh, blog post that accompanies the episode, but um, anything on looking if they're like, okay, I, I'm ready to go um, that you would want to direct them to? 
Yeah, the, the, it's interesting because we're, we're kind of approaching fall time. And we didn't talk about this all about timing, like, you know, timing of planting, um, when is the best time to plant mushrooms. And, and a lot of it depends on what mushroom you're growing. For example, the wine cap stropharia can be planted pretty much any time from, you know, for us or, you know, late April to um, freeze up in the fall. I've, I've planted many a wine cap, you know, the day before a hard frost. Um, it's probably not preferable, but, you know, you, you can grow that one almost, plant that one at almost any time. Um, okay. The shiitake and the, the, the lion's mane and any, any of these wood decay fungi, there is a timing um, issue, and that is that you want to try to get the wood when it's at a really good nutritive stage, and also there's there's certain things that make the bark adhere to the log, and the log will last longer than through the life of, of your mushroom cultivation experience. Um, and so those times um, is, a, is, you know, cutting or getting the wood, gathering the wood, um, removing it off the, off, the, off the trunk or off the stump um, any time during the dormant season. And surprisingly, the dormant season is any time from one-third leaf color um, all the way till bud swell in the spring. So you have this big window of time that, that you can gather your wood. Um, and that it, depending on where you live in the United States, if you're in the South, you have to be, you know, a little more careful about wood drying out. And we have, um, we have some tips, um, again, on the website, if you wanted to kind of learn about that, but, um, fall is a really popular time for growing almost any mushroom with the exception of almond agaricus, which is a subtropical. It really likes warm weather and it won't survive the okay. winter in most areas. So, um, okay. so we would never plant, I think the the planting time for almond is, is past pretty much now, unless you live in the deep South, um, where you're, you know, cause it, it kind of shuts down once we get into the forties. So, um, okay. so that one you would not want to plant, but you know, the wine cap or any of the, you know, now that we're entering into the time when we're starting to get leaf color and, and actually once we start getting some big storms that come through, say end of August or even mid to mid August and after, even though the leaves haven't changed color, they're going to pretty quick. And so um, those are, those are pretty safe to, to harvest those. You get some felled wood that's, that's living in green and it just came down and you can use that once we start getting, you know, closer to fall than, than closer to summer. Um, so, um, or spring, I guess I should say. So those are very, very useful to, I mean, I, I, we use that kind of wood all the time. We have a lot of old oak that just are sort of falling apart now. And, um, we use that wood that's starting to come down now, um, for shiitake cultivation, no problem. So yeah, that, yeah. So fall planting is really a really great time because the wood is at a good stage. Um, the cells in the wood are actually a little soft. They're not completely like hardened off as they get in the middle of the winter when they're, the cells are really protecting themselves from freeze cracking and things like that. So the cells are very penetrable. They're really, they're re really receptive to when you put the spawn in, they're like, okay, go ahead, take me over. <laughs> so, um, so actually fall is a really great time to be planting any of these wood decay fungi. And that would be um, the shiitake, the oyster, um, the lion's mane, um, olive oysterling, for example. Those are all really, really good to plant in the fall. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm glad to know that we're actually coming in to the prime time when this will be releasing and that I haven't missed the window for this year. So that feels really good. You know, with gardening, there's definitely, if you miss a window for the year, sometimes it can be really short too with those first and, and last frost dates. So I'm happy to hear that there's mm -hmm. a little bit larger 
window of inoculation and planting time for mushrooms then. So I'm super excited. Thank you so much for coming on. You shared so much good information. I, my listeners are probably going to be laughing, but I'm like, okay, I, I'm the one that's doing this interview, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to these episodes when they release because there's so much info in there that I want to make sure I'm taking in. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening to this. I, you know, it's just, you know, it's a passion for so many of us here. And, um, and you know, sometimes I get a little carried away. So I'm glad you were so interested. Um, I really appreciate your, your questions and willingness to listen to. Yeah, no, thank you. Very, very interesting. I found it fascinating. So thank you so much. And um, I hope you have a fabulous time cultivating and harvesting those mushrooms. All right. Thanks so much, Melissa. Appreciate it. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this little mini series on growing and eating and using mushrooms. I am always thrilled to find different ways that we can use what we've got to produce more food for ourselves, as well as, like I said, some of those natural remedies, which I would have never have guessed. I've always, I'm one of those people who've always loved mushrooms. We grew up um, hunting them as a small child. Every single spring, my dad would take us out and we would go morel mushroom hunting. It's still one of my absolute favorite activities, even as an adult. And my kids and my husband and I really enjoy it. But I would have not guessed that there was so many different types of mushrooms that you could grow at home, nor that there were so many of these wonderful little fungi that taste so good, as well as provide some really great nutritional and health benefits as well. I hope that you enjoyed this. I can't wait to see if you're growing mushrooms or if you start to grow mushrooms, what that looks like. And I am working on an episode that will be airing next week, so number 270, where I will be outlining in depth what we're doing as we prepare for the second wave of COVID or possible scenarios. I mean, who knows? None of us have, thank goodness, uh, you know, a way to see the future. I say thank goodness because sometimes I think that's a blessing. Um, but what we're doing in anticipation to really prepare with the high likelihood of further lockdowns and um, a lot more, you know, further complications with everything as we move into cold and flu season with it being a COVID-19 reality as we move into that. So a lot of you have expressed interest in that episode, wanting to know exactly what we're doing to get prepared and to stocked up. And so I will be releasing that for you next week. So blessings in mason jars until then. Mm -hmm.